kabilule wa okulu tenau kishmi ilkomi hif kabilu stay tenatemi te breitha khadatha ti hivlekom wasrabim ti mashle khatain Avata rabata vanash yevekha ohilehom ai la kautum nem hakti ena seltoma vilathil komara hem haki hita hita hivo denale dena kokavel dena vefle kom antun Ich will kommen. Und tun mach am Ende B. Warten da und die hohe Anna Arch. Koste. Hoje. Leite in Aschalabalen Piati. Why don't you stand with me this evening? He's resurrected. Hallelujah. Can somebody just praise? Can you just, can you just take 30 seconds and just praise him this evening? Come on, can you just praise him? Resurrected King. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, we bless you. We praise you. Come on, I wish somebody would help me. Shout it to the Lord with a voice of victory. Your sins, though they were like scarlet, they are white as snow. They've been nailed to the cross. Hallelujah. Your record of wrongs that was against you has been nailed to the cross. You bear it no more. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we bless you. Hallelujah. Lord, we bless you. Lord, we bless you. Jesus. Jesus, when I think about what was against me, when I think about the record that was against me, when I think about the judgment that was on my head, when I think about all that was against me, and I look at the cross, I look at what Jesus went through, I look at his death and his resurrection, I can't help but shout. I can't help but praise. Jesus, I had a death sentence on my head. I was condemned. I was judged to die. But Christ became my propitiation. Christ became my sacrifice. Hallelujah. And so tonight, tonight we celebrate Christ, our resurrected King. Tonight we celebrate His death and we celebrate His resurrection. Hallelujah. Why don't you turn to somebody next to you welcome them to church tonight. Say, get ready, your miracle is on its way. Your miracle's on its way. I want you to release your faith tonight for a miracle. If you're here tonight and you're sick, I want you to believe for your healing. I said tonight, if you're here, you, you're dealing with sickness, or you know someone who's ill in their body, I want you to believe for healing tonight. I don't want you to leave the same way that you came. I don't want you leaving this place the same way you came. I know you came for an hour bless me service, but I came for something more. You may have walked in the door for a little hour. Hey, you walked in the wrong place. I came for church tonight. <laughs> I believe miracles are happening in this place tonight. I believe 
Lives are going to be changed tonight. I said I believe lives are going to be changed tonight in his presence. You can't get into his presence and something not happen. (laughs) You better sit down so I can try to preach. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach on communion, not, not Sunday, Easter Sunday, but the following Sunday I'm going to start. I'm going to do a couple of weeks and I'm going to jump in tonight on communion. But I, I want to take some time and unpack the power of communion. Communion is not just symbolic. It's not just something that we do as a symbolic act. It is powerful. There's, it is a miracle, the miracle of communion, the miracle of His blood, the miracle of His body. And we're going to dive into that. I'm going to start tonight a little bit, uh, but a lot of people think that communion started with the Passover, but it goes way past, it goes all the way back to Genesis. Communion and the idea of communion goes all the way back to Genesis. So let's just rewind the clock tonight, can we? Are you okay if we just kind of jump in tonight and rewind and take a look at Christ's sacrifice and how it, it goes all the way back? Say all the way back. Back in Genesis chapter 4, if you have your Bibles, Genesis chapter 4, and we're going to pick up the story in Genesis chapter 4. If you're familiar with uh, Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and what's just transpired, God has created. In Genesis 3, man sins. There's the fall of man. And so man has committed sin. God has banished them from the Garden of Eden. And we pick up in chapter 4. Now, Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I've acquired a man from the Lord. And then she bore again, and this time his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Everybody say offering brought an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock. Now, what what did Abel bring? If he was a shepherd, what did he bring? He brought a sheep. He brought a lamb. And he brought the firstborn of his flock and their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and it is desire is for you, but you should rule over it. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass that while they were in the field, Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And verse 10, he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Here we find in Genesis chapter 4, humanity betraying humanity. Flesh betraying flesh, brother betraying brother. It was the first murder recorded in the Bible. Humanity turns on humanity, betrays brother, and murders him. This was all about an offering. It was about a time to honor God. And Abel brings his lamb, his sheep before the Lord, offers it as a sacrifice before God, as an offering to the Lord. And Cain is jealous. Cain's sin and jealousy rises up in his heart and he kills his brother Abel over the sacrifice. What was meant to be worship. You know, it's interesting to me, it goes all the way back to Genesis, what was intended to be worship. When you allow jealousy and envy and a religious spirit to rise up in your heart, come on somebody, you want to shut down true worship. That's always what the enemy, can you bring me up a little bit in the, and I need some help before I kill my voice. There's, that's what the enemy always wants to do. He wants to stop true worship. He wants to stop the, the worship of the saints. Come on somebody. And that's what religious spirit is all about. 
wanting to stop the worship of God. And that's what Cain was doing with Abel. He was trying to stop the worship of God. What Adam and Eve must have felt as they watched one son murder the other. They knew they lived Year after year after year after year after year, watching the effects, watching the impact of their sin, their sin in the garden impact the rest of humanity, the curse that came on humanity because of their sin. And they watched unfold in their own family the results of that sin. They watched as generation after generation after generation endured the curse of sin. They watched as their son Cain murdered their son Abel. We know that because of Cain's sin, the curse of sin began to follow his lineage If you follow out the lineage of Cain, it was full of sin and full of depravity, full of carnality. Adam and Eve had another son named Seth after the murder of Abel. And after Seth was born, Seth was a righteous lineage. Noah came from Seth's lineage. But this story sounds so familiar. If you fast forward through the pages of time and you fast forward into Luke chapter 22, we find another story. We find a very similar story that echoes what took place at the beginning of time. In Luke chapter 22, we pick up with Jesus at the Last Supper and he said, when the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. I wonder what was going through the disciples' mind in that moment when Jesus spoke of his betrayer. Is it me? Is it you? Who is it, Lord? And they begin to question and begin to ask, who's the betrayer? Who's the one that's given Jesus? The one that we've given our lives for has given Jesus over to the Sanhedrin. For the Son of Man, verse 22, goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them could it be who was going to do this? A dispute also rose among them as to which of them was going to be regarded as the greatest. In the middle of Jesus' final hours, At the last supper, the table of the Lord where he's instituting communion, the Lord's Supper. And he's saying, this is my body. My body is getting ready to be broken for you. The blood that's flowing in my veins right now is going to be gushing out for you. My betrayer is with me. His hand is with me on this table. He's fellowshipping with us right now. The one who's going to turn us over to the Sanhedrin is with us right now. And what's their argument? Are you going to be the greatest? I want my name in in the book. 
I want my name on the billboard. I want my name on the side of the church. I want my name. I want people to know what I did for Jesus. I want people to know what I did. I was the man. I was the man with Jesus. We were like this. I sat with him at the table at the Passover feast. Who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to be the greatest? The same problem of humanity all the way back to the garden. The same trouble back at the garden. Still the curse of sin. We find it at the Passover. You know, it's lurking in all of our hearts. You know, it's there. It's lurking in all of our hearts. I want to be the greatest. I want people to know what I did for Jesus. Did you see the small group that I led? Did you see how much I gave? Did you see what I did in church today? Did you see how I worshiped? Did you see how I pressed in, how I worshiped? Did you hear my song? Did you hear me sing? It's all about me. Did you hear my prayer? And we want our names on the side of the church, but we can't endure with Christ one hour in the garden. We want to be the ones who want to follow after him and say, oh, look at me, Jesus. I want to be the greatest. But when he's at the the point of crucifixion, we run and we disappear and can't be found. After his death, we're the ones hiding out in a locked room because we're afraid of what the Sanhedrin might do. You see, the curse of sin is on us all. Did you hear what I said? The curse of sin is upon us all. That curse of of carnality, that curse of it's all about me betraying the Lord. The Bible says in Jeremiah that they've exchanged the fountain of living waters for broken cisterns. That's what it's all about. We're betraying the fountain of living waters for cisterns that are broken and can't satisfy. We're trying to drink from wells, trying to drink from water that can't satisfy. It's like the woman at the well. She was trying desperately to get her water, but this man called Jesus kept interrupting her. She just wanted a drink. She just wanted to get her, her the live-in boyfriend a drink. And this man... Jesus kept interrupting her. And he said, if you knew, if you knew who was sitting here with you, you would have asked him for a drink and I would have given you living waters. You see, tonight we're going to partake of communion. And it might be grape juice and crackers. But it's oh so much more than grape juice and crackers. It's so much more than grape juice and crackers. Jesus tells us about the power of His body and His blood. How it changes our life. How it changes our DNA. You know, in the, in the essence of your blood is, is, is earthly, fleshly DNA. If they, if they were to draw out some of your blood and they put it under a microscope and test it and do all those things, we'd find a DNA strand and, and we could figure out things about your personality or things about your body or things about your internal makeup because of your, because of your DNA. You know, your DNA, it programs your body how it's going to function. Programs your body. It's going to tell you if you're going to have gray hair or white hair or no hair or thick hair or blue eyes or green eyes or hazel eyes or brown eyes. It tells you how you're going to, how you're going to metabolize food. It tells your body how it's going to work and function. But there's something about the blood of Jesus that when we begin to drink, Jesus said, drink of of my blood and eat my flesh. When, When we begin to drink of him and feast on him, something happens to our DNA. Something begins to transpire in our natural bodies. And all of a sudden, the curse of sin and the effects of the sinful world we live in begin to loose their hold on my carnal body. I have spiritual DNA all of a sudden flowing in me. I have heavenly Christ DNA in my body. It begins to change who I am. 
begins to change how I act, begins to change how I live. The curse of sin, the curse of death, the curse of sickness is broken and the power of Jesus' blood. I said the curse of sin, the curse of death, the curse of sickness and disease is broken and the power of Jesus' blood. I believe in His blood. I believe His blood can cleanse your conscience clean. Tonight, if there's skeletons haunting you, taunting you, tormenting you, the blood of Jesus can cleanse your conscience clean. The blood of Jesus can make you new. The same blood that flowed on Calvary is the same blood that flows for you 2,000 years later today and can change your life, can make you a new person, can change how you think, can change how you live, can change what your desires. You say, Pastor, I love the alcohol. I love the cigarette. I just can't seem to put it down. That's okay. The body and the blood of Jesus can change your life and desires that once held you captive can be broken off of you in Jesus' name. One drink, one sip, one drop changes everything. One drop caused the earth to quake. One drop caused the sun to go dark. If Jesus, at the weakest of moments in his life, drained of his blood, beaten within just a moment of his life, nailed to a cross, the weakest moment of Christ's life, If he, in that moment, can save all of humanity that is present and is to come. If Jesus, in that moment of time, the most weakest moment of his life, can heal every disease and break every chain and set every captive free, then my God, what can he do when he's seated on his throne in glory, resurrected king? What can he do right now as you begin to call out his name, Jesus? What can he do in this moment? Oh, you're not. I don't think you heard me. The same Jesus that resurrected is seated on the throne right now, interceding on your behalf. If he can save you with a drop of blood in a weak moment, what can he do ruling and reigning as King of kings and the Lord of lords? He has all authority. He has all power. There's absolutely nothing that he cannot do. He controls all things by the word of his power. His father has put everything, every principality, every person, every situation, every circumstance is under his feet. I can't get a break. That's okay. He can't. He's still God. I can't seem to breathe. Life's crushing in on me. That's okay. He's carried it to the cross for you. He's brought you supernatural joy. He's brought you supernatural peace. He's brought you supernatural shalom. Nothing missing. Nothing broken. Everything in order. It doesn't matter what you're going through. Come on, I wish somebody would help me. Doesn't matter what you're going through. He's still the king on the throne, ruling all things over your life. He's directing your steps. I was reading the Bible. I'm going to go back. <laughs> Who's the greatest? (laughs) And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater? One who reclines at the table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table, but I am among you as the one who serves. In John chapter 13, we find another 
part of this story. It says, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands, that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter and he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And Simon said, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Here's a moment at the Last Supper where Jesus has washed their feet. We know that his, his blood washes us and cleanses us. We have a covenant with God signed in his blood. His body was broken. His body was, and I, I'm going to preach on that Sunday morning, and I hope that you're here on the broken body of Jesus. I want you to bring people Sunday morning. I know that I, I have such a strong urgency about the message on Sunday morning. There's not one person. I, I believe every person in the room will be overwhelmed with the presence and the power of God on Sunday. I, I believe it's going to be that intense of, of a service. <clears throat> Bring someone. But there's this power of the washing and what Jesus was saying to them is, I'm washing you, I'm serving you. <clears throat> I'm serving you, but I'm washing you, I'm cleansing you. It's not about the feet. Again, it's not, it's not about the feet, Peter. It's not about... It's not about washing your feet or washing your head or washing your hands. It's about you being pure. It's about you being clean. About you being washed. In Hebrews, I'm going to wrap up in just a moment. But remember, we were talking about Abel. How communion the foundation of this goes all the way back to Genesis. In Hebrews chapter 12, it tells us that we've not come to Mount Sinai. We've not come to Mount Sinai, Moses' mountain, but we've, we've come to Mount Zion, Hebrews 12, 22. You've come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels, and to the assembly of the firstborn who enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks better than the blood of Abel. You see, Abel's blood was crying out for justice, Abel's blood was crying out for wrath and for justice. But Jesus' blood, in the moment of His crucifixion, the moment, His last moments in life, He was betrayed. In the last moments, He breathed out, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It was blood of forgiveness, blood of mercy, blood that cleanses. Blood that doesn't hold an account or a record of wrongs, but blood that washes them and forgives them and forgets them. I've said it before, but it amazes me. I don't understand. I don't understand how a God who knows it all, who knows the end from the beginning, who foreordained the redemptive plan of eternal ages before the foundations of the world, who knows it all, yet chooses to forget your sin and your iniquity. The God who knows everything removes your sin as far as the east is from the west. 
What a miracle working God we serve. What a miracle working God we serve. I'm going to, Bob, can you help me with this? I'm going to ask Judas to come out. Don't throw anything at Judas, please. Judas is just doing what he's been asked to do. Somebody might need to help him. Judas, Judas might be hard of hearing as well. It's what happens when you betray the Lord. <clears throat> Come on up here, Judas. Somebody might need to help her. She got a few things. Go over there, Judas. Pastor Grace, can you come to the keys? That would be great. And all that Jesus was doing, I mean, he's got 11 guys who for the most part are pretty committed. They've got some issues, but they've given up everything to follow Jesus. We'd look at Peter's life and we'd probably say, yeah, it's pretty easy to wash Peter's feet. I mean, Peter, I mean, after all, Jesus, you said you were going to build your church on Peter. I mean, yeah, it's pretty easy to wash his feet. But there was someone else in the room that night. And maybe you, just maybe you're here tonight and maybe you'll identify with this person. You see, this person was always in the background criticizing and judging, was uncertain of Jesus' ministry, always questioning, always fighting against it, unsure of what it really meant, what it really meant for him. After all, Jesus, let's just give that money to the poor. After all, Jesus, let's just, let's just give the money that you could get off of that woman's perfume. Let's, instead of you wasting it on your feet, let's just give it to the poor. Let's stop the worship. I mean, after all, all of these people. I mean, how many people do you really need to pray for in a day? How many people do you really need to lay hands on in a day? This is ludicrous. The crowds need to just go away. He was always in the background. And he always had something to say. He always had thought, maybe that's you tonight. There's always that lingering thought. Always that lingering thought. Jesus, why are you doing it this way? Jesus, we could do it different, you know. Why are you doing it that way? We all have our own little Judases. Judas shows up every once in a while in our life. But Jesus, we never see Jesus say anything harsh or ill to Judas. In fact, Jesus knelt before him and began to wash his feet. Now, I can promise you, Judas's feet were probably not as clean as George's. Wearing sandals on the dirt and dusty roads, following donkeys. You get the image. The point is, is that Jesus took the position of the servant. He emptied himself. And not only gave his life for you, but became the servant for you. See, communion is not just about the body and the blood. It's about Jesus, the servant of all. He was the host of the meal but he also became the servant of the meal. He was the meal. He was the feast. But he also 
is the servant of the meal. What does that mean? You see, in Christ, the Bible tells us He's not only our sacrifice and our propitiation. He took my place on the cross. He bore the chastisement, the penalty, the punishment of my sin was on Him. But He's also my high priest. He's not only the sacrifice, but He's the high priest who brings me into the presence of God. You see, it was the high priest, the servant, the servant's responsibility, the high priest's responsibility to represent the people before God. And that's exactly what Jesus does. Communion is not just about His body that was broken and His blood that was spilled out, but it's a celebration. It's a moment of rejoicing. Every time I take it, it is a celebration that I have been given access not that just his, his body and His blood have been given to me, but He's given me access through His body, through His blood, and to the very presence of God. To you and I, that sounds pretty normal. But to the people of the Old Testament, that wasn't a possibility. If you heard the voice of God, it meant you were probably going to die. Because only the high priest was allowed into the presence of God. And even then, you know, you come into church wearing what you want, doing what you want, talking to who you want. Come into the building, and there's nothing wrong with that. You just come in and say what you want to say, do what you want to do, hang out with who you want to hang out with. But that wasn't always the case. If you were going to walk into the holy place, into the place where God was, into His sanctuary, the high priest even had bells on their clothes. So that if they dropped dead in the presence of God, somebody could drag them out with a rope. See, coming into the presence of God was a serious matter. We see story after story after story through Scripture about the seriousness of the presence of God. For us, it's become almost too commonplace and we treat it with contempt but we're reminded at communion, communion this is a serious matter we celebrate the access we have into the presence of the Lord and we rejoice and we thank Him for it because Christ His body His blood and He's the servant of the meal so tonight our ushers are going to come forward. If you'll go ahead and come forward, our ushers. Thank you, Judas. We're going to serve communion tonight. But it's not just ushers that are serving communion. I want you to see Jesus walking the aisles tonight. I want you to see the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, walking the aisle tonight. He's serving you. Jesus is serving you tonight. I trust. 
served let's stand together Corinthians 11. Paul says, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. It's interesting. Paul had a, had a revelation of Jesus, an actual physical revelation of Jesus. And Jesus, out of all the things Jesus could have taught him, out of all the things that Jesus could have covered with him, Jesus talks about communion talks about the Passover meal, tells him about the Passover meal, how special of a meal it was for Jesus that in a, in a vision, one of the most important things that Jesus wants to tell Paul after his salvation is about the Passover. He said, the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your body that was broken. Today on Good Friday, we reflect on your death. The beating, the scourging, the nails driven in your hands, the crown of thorns all of the suffering that you went through for me you did it for me and I thank you Jesus that right now by your broken body I have healing by your stripes I was healed by your stripes by your broken body I was healed. I claim, Lord, if you, have, if you need healing in your body tonight, just claim it. This isn't just symbolic. Tonight as we receive communion, you can be healed in your body. Sickness that's been plaguing you, disease that's been plaguing you, tonight in Jesus' name, by His broken body, 
you are healed. Jesus, that's your covenant. You are healed. Let's eat together. Oyster crackers never tasted so good. (laughs) And then, in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. In other words, do it often. And when you do it, remember me. Do this often, and when you do it, remember me. One of the things that we're remembering is blood that was poured out, but one of the things we're remembering is he's not with us. He was telling his disciples, I'm not going to be with you any longer. He's he's saying to them, I'm not going to be with you when you do this. I'm not going to do this again until the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're not going to do this again until you're in heaven. And we're going to do this at the marriage supper. That's when, that's when we'll, man, what a party that's going to be. I imagine Jesus, I, I, Jesus knows how to throw a party. I, I think it's going to be a pretty good one. But he's telling them, remember me. When you do this, I'm not going to be with you. Remember me. But here's, here's the awesome thing about this. As he told his disciples, he said, I don't leave you as orphans. What do you say? I'm leaving, but I'm going to pray the Father, ask the Father, that he'll send the Holy Spirit, another helper just like me. So, so you're going to have the Holy... So what happened? You're going to... Receive communion, you're going to remember me. And when you do, the Holy Spirit's going to tell you again about me. The Holy Spirit's going to remind you about me. When we take communion, it's not just symbolic. The Holy Spirit wants to do something in you when we receive communion together. Isn't that awesome? That's good stuff. The Holy Spirit wants to be involved in communion. He's, He's reminding you of who Jesus is right now. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? The Holy Spirit, by which we cry, Abba, Father, we've been given the spirit of sonship and adoption. He tells me I am a child of God. What's he telling you? Jesus, we celebrate you tonight. (laughs) I feel heaven in this room right now. Jesus, I know you said you were going to drink this until that day, but I know you're present here right now. Even though we can't see you, even though we don't see you, we're in the, in the natural. I know you're walking. I feel you with me right now. I'm remembering you. <laughs> Woo, I'm remembering you. <laughs> Ooh, Jesus, I remember. <laughs> yeah, I remember how you saved me. I remember how you healed my body. <laughs> I remember, Lord, how you showed up time and time again. Never left me. You've never forsaken me. And even right now, you're with me. I can't wait to that day. Can't wait to that day till we drink together. <laughs> Who can't wait to that day where we drink together? Who <laughs> I can't wait. Who <laughs> can't wait, Lord? I'm ready for the trumpet to sound. 
Father, the Spirit, and the Bride say, Come. I, we should drink before I before I leave this place. We should drink. Let's drink together. Woo, Jesus, we worship you. Come on, just magnify him in your own words. Jesus, we bless you. Woo. You're my healer. Yeah, yeah. You're more than enough for me. Better than one. Lord, let your oil flow in me. If you need healing, come down. We want to pray for you. If you're believing God for a healing, come on. If you're believing God for a healing, I just feel faith for healing. Come on. 